the second session for today. It will be the panel discussion on the topic of EU and Japan, leaders in the AI development. Well, let's put the question mark there at the end and try to answer that question in, in this uh, panel. First, I would like to uh, present our speakers for uh, today's uh, uh, panel. On my right here, uh, Mr. Eric Badik, uh, Advisor for Artificial Intelligence of the European Commission. Further on the right is uh, Mr. Tatsuji Narita, Councillor of the Secretariat of the Headquarters for the Digital Mar Market Competition of the Japanese Government. And here on the left is Mr. Scott Marcus, Senior Fellow from Bruegel. First, I will ask the speakers to uh, have each the presentation of around 15 minutes. And later on, I will ask uh, for uh, the comments and questions uh, uh, from uh, the floor. So, uh, uh, Mr. Badik, if you can start first. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Eric Badike. I'm, I'm working in DigiConnect, uh, so one of the uh, general directions in the European Commission uh, that deals with uh, with technology, with research. So we run the uh, the, the research programs, research and development programs, and we also have uh, a number of activities on uh, on, on regulation. And one of them. One of these activities is AI, so that's why I'm here. Uh, I will uh, give a short presentation on what our strategy is, what we have done, and what our intentions are in, in the area of AI. So first of all, uh, unfortunately I couldn't be here this morning, but I guess uh, this has been uh, discussed already uh, in, in detail. We all agree that there are amazing opportunities in AI, in data, in better use of data. AI is a bit of a, of a catchword. There is a lot of hype about AI, so maybe we could also see AI just as the next step of digitization, of better using uh, the data we have at hand uh, in order to do uh, more, uh, more with this data and to solve a lot of the problems we have and common problems we have. And that's also why it's important to look at this in the global context, uh, and that's why it would be very interesting to discuss how we can work uh, in particular better with Japan uh, to, uh, to uh, discover the next frontier in AI, but also to make sure that we have a, a level playing field and we, uh, and we agree on the same, uh, on the same uh, rules uh, and, and guidelines for AI. Uh, in this context, also in this global context, which is not easy, I mean, with some, some at the moment, some trade wars and all, all things that are, look very much like trade wars. Uh, I think AI is also perceived as something that is uh, very uh, strategic or, or that, uh, on one hand, offers a lot of opportunities and we feel that this is going to make a difference. It's going to be, uh, to be, very, to be essential to our uh, competitiveness in the future, but it's also a bit scary. So I think there is this, this global context that's very interesting 
Uh, and in that context, Europe, in the new commission, I have this as a last point, also, as you know, we, uh, every uh, five years we have a new commission coming in. We are in this phase now. Uh, it, it is a difficult birth, as you have seen, in particular for our commissioner, who uh, was, I mean, this is democracy, who was not accepted by parliament. Now we are waiting for a new proposal from the French side. Uh, and uh, and that, so that means there is a bit of a delay uh, in, in this new commission. But this new commission has already given some of the uh, orientations, and, and one of them will be uh, we think we need to do more for our strategic autonomy, and AI is, is a part of this, is an is important element of that. So what does it mean? Uh, it doesn't mean that we are going to say Europe first, like uh, others say, America first or whatever, but uh, it means that we, we are aware of the fact that uh, some of these technologies that are essential for our, for our future, for our industry, uh, we, need to keep the, uh, we need to keep more control. So we need to basically do more what we've been doing in the past years, which is work more at the European level and, and uh, invest together and have uh, common strategies. And this is, of course, obvious if you, if you look at the, uh, the competitiveness uh, of, of each of the member states with respect to the big players, with respect to the US, to China, to Japan, etc. Uh, we, uh, we, in some of these areas, in many of these areas, uh, there is only a European response. There can only be a European response. Uh, and AI is certainly, it's certainly true for AI. Uh, it's very, very clear for cybersecurity, and then it's true, of course, for, for connectivity and other areas. So what we will uh, propose, or what we have proposed actually, uh, and now we are waiting for this new commission to come in, waiting for the process to, to be finalized on the financing of the next phase, but we would like to see more uh, financing going into these uh, big projects, uh, digital projects for Europe in the next phase, 2021, 2027. Uh, and here, well, there are lots of, there's lots of jargon, and I apologize for this, but these are all the different tools that we have, the different programs that we have, uh, and giving some examples of where we think that it would make sense to have uh, a big European projects, whether on AI and common data spaces, on cybersecurity or on blockchain or on areas like this. Uh, and uh, we are going to bring this, uh, this ambition uh, more strongly with the new commission. And I think also uh, some of the uh, allocation of portfolio and the way the new commission is organized shows that there will be, more, uh, there will be a more ambitious approach towards uh, uh, technological sovereignty, towards more investment uh, and uh, uh, building a stronger European presence in these areas uh, than in the past. So now moving on to AI, because this is the, the topic um, uh, today, uh, we have a, a strategy on AI uh, that we have presented already last year. Three, three, uh, three pillars. One is of course, an, an investment strategy, as I, as I said before, for, for the overview. Uh, an investment, an excellent strategy. We need to be to stay on top of technological development. We need to invest together in, in the technology, in the research centers, in the excellent centers, etc. 
One is looking at the future and the impact of, uh, of uh, AI that it will have on socioeconomic changes on the, uh, on the uh, job market, for example, because there are also lots of, of questions there. And one which is important and also very important in terms of working together with Japan in particular is the ethical and legal framework or ethical framework because we believe that there we need to work with what we call like-minded countries, so countries that have similar views on, in terms of, of, of values, of fundamental values that we should uh, respect and we should build in our system. So the, the key point here is to make sure that we have what we call trustworthy AI so that when people use a system in which there is an AI engine or there is some AI components, we can trust this system, we can trust this is transparent, this, there, there are no bias, uh, this has been done properly because as we know, the new, the new element that AI brings is of course this uh, autonomous uh, decision-making, uh, this learning characteristic that is bringing new challenges. And in order to do this, we have launched, uh, we have uh, uh, created a, a group of 52 uh, experts who have done a lot of work, and there will be a slide that will, uh, that will uh, explain that a bit later. So what, what we are looking at is, uh, of course, not only AI as such, but it is some kind of an AI ecosystem, creating an ecosystem that will allow uh, AI to, to really have an impact. So this includes, of course, infrastructure. We have a strategy there as well on, on high-performance computing. We just launched a, a very big project uh, that is actually pan-European, that involves, uh, I think, uh, between 15 and 20 member states with financing to build some capacity on HPC. Uh, we are going to finance large-scale testing facilities, so it could be uh, uh, self-driving uh, facilities or uh, hospitals or things like this. That would be that would be European. That means that data would have to be shared. That there would be some some kind of openness in, in the process and some data spaces to bring together the, the different data sources with interoperability, so that we can train the AI systems and. Uh, we can uh, develop AI systems that are uh, useful across Europe. Then there is this uh, work on what we call digital innovation hubs. So this is also for us very important, is to bring the, uh, to bring the technology in the different regions. Uh, there is this objective to have one hub per region, uh, ultimately, in Europe. Uh, so the idea here is to connect these local hubs with the best we have in terms of infrastructure, whether computing infrastructure or testing infrastructure, and uh, to uh, spread this knowledge and allow uh, SMEs and smaller actors in sometimes remote regions to access this technology. The third one is, of course, I've already spoken about this, excellence in research. So there we need also the, the political will from the member states now to finance what we are proposing, but we hope we'll get it. And then there is a dimension of training, of course, uh, with skills. So we have also a, a proposal there for a, a sizable uh, part of uh, one of the programs that we are launching, a new program on skills. And some activities, of course, on data, on data reuse, on fluidifying, on making the uh, the uh, the, the data market more fluid in, in Europe because that's also essential to allow AI to uh, take off. So uh, 
this is maybe a, a lot has been said already, but this is just to, to show the, the level of, uh, of ambition in the different areas. Uh, we have a number of, of things, for example, the AI on demand platform, which is something we are proud of uh, to, uh, to bring together the, uh, the resources on AI and uh, in, in, a, in, an undem in a platform that where people can share uh, the algorithm, can share data, etc. So uh, I won't go more into detail on this. This is an, an overview of the different programs we have and how they, they serve or they, uh, they will address uh, AI. So on, on the left here, there is the Digital Europe program. I have a slide on this, which is a new creation. And we are hopeful that this will be accepted uh, soon and financed. And uh, this program will be, will be more of a, it's not a research program, it's more a kind of a deployment and a testing program. Uh, and uh, there will be a sizable budget for AI within that. And then, of course, there is the, the research part, which is a large program for 100 billion uh, over seven years. If, uh, the, if we get the, uh, the funding from the member states. And uh, within that, there will be uh, some activities, a lot of activities also on AI. Uh, I was talking about Digital Europe program. This is just a bit more details about it. Uh, this is a new, uh, a new program that we have proposed now. Uh, I think it has resonated quite well with, uh, with member states, with the political level. Uh, saying that this, it is time for, for Europe to, to, to do more in these areas and to do not just research but also uh, deployment, deploying the technology, doing some testing facilities, etc. So AI will be a big part of that. Now, how do we work with member states? This is very important. This is Europe. This is not just uh, you know, dictating something from Brussels. Uh, we have what we call the coordinated plan. So we bring together the member states three, four times a year uh, at relatively high level, and uh, we try and we succeed in, in having them uh, agree on national AI strategies and aligning the, the strategies with the European strategy in financing uh, uh, research and, and innovation, uh, also in, in joint projects. Uh, we are also pursuing uh, data spaces with them, so looking at which area, for example, in health or in other areas where we can bring this data uh, in, in, in bigger pools and uh, talking about skills, talking about ethical uh, development. So there, uh, I must say, there is a lot of activity as uh, probably every single member state has today a kind of a commission or, or some, some groups thinking about this. This is at the same time a good thing because that means what we, have, what we are doing and, and everybody is aware of these issues. On the other hand, it is a concern because we don't, the last thing we want is to have 28 or 27 uh, maybe uh, different uh, regulations and different approaches to AI, so uh, to regulating AI. So this is one thing that we, will, uh, we are, of course, uh, uh, aware of and, and looking at. And, uh, and that's one reason also why we have this objective to go relatively fast with this, uh, with this uh, bringing uh, to the table uh, 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 some kind of rules on AI. So the work of the, uh, what we call the high-level group has, uh, has focused on ethics guidelines. I don't know if you've heard about them, but uh, they have actually been 
uh, resonating, uh, I think, quite well around the world. Uh, I, I know that uh, uh, Japanese colleagues are aware of them. Uh, they have their own guidelines in Japan as well. But uh, there, there is work on at the OECD level. There's work in the in the G20 as well recently under uh, under Japanese uh, uh, presidency. So there there is a lot of lots of things going on. But I think they were quite ahead in the reflection, and they they, they have made uh, they have had an impact. Uh, so this covers. Uh, the seven uh, principles here. So, if you have an AI system, it should you should make sure that there is oversight. You should make sure that it's robust, that it's safe, that it's transparent, etc. So, I think all all these principles, of course, uh, derive from basic fundamental rights uh, and and make a lot of sense. And I think they are uh, very very similar to the ones we find in Japan uh, and in other uh, other places in the world. Uh, but uh, I think there is, there is really a lot of commonalities with what the Japanese approach is. So the process is uh, like this. I won't go into all the details, but we are now uh, somewhere on the right uh, under the piloting phase. So we are piloting these guidelines or, these, uh, or a kind of an assessment list of these guidelines. We have about, I think, five or 600 uh, companies that have, that have answered our call for piloting. And uh, we have what we call deep dives, so which is sitting down with some specialists from companies, and they could be big ones, they could be small ones. We have actually the big, the big American players, uh, some of them playing the game and and uh, and testing these guidelines, which is which is a good thing. Uh, but we're also very interested in in testing that with smaller players because we want to know how heavy is it, uh, how much will it cost. If you, if you follow all these guidelines in your development, uh, is that going to, to be a problem for you on the market or not, etc. So we're hopeful that this will inform the process in a very useful way uh, by the 1st of December. And then we will, uh, we will have a review of the guideline early 2020. So actually, uh, this, this was, uh, the, the plan was that we would do this process and then we would take our time and we would uh, reflect whether there was a need for a regulation or not. This was the original plan. Uh, the, uh, the political level has decided in, in a different way, probably because there is so much talk and so much hype about AI, and there is so much activity around the world. And now we have uh, our new president-elect, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who has given a signal that she wants something to be done uh, very quickly, within 100 days. Now, of course, we are lucky in the sense that there are these delays, and, and the, the question is, when will the 100 days start? Uh, and uh, now, with the, the further delay uh, created by uh, Mrs. Goulart problems in the parliament, we have a bit more breathing time. Don't say that we've done this on purpose, but, uh, uh, but that, that's, of course, helpful. Because 100 days is very short, as you can imagine. So uh, we are still under these, these guidance and these political guidelines. Uh, we will see uh, what actually happens uh, after 100 days. We, it, it's not 100% clear, to be perfectly honest now. It will also it will depend on the, on the new commission. Uh, and as soon as it will be in place, we will have more clarity. But we are, in any case, uh, going ahead with uh, reflecting, giving options, thinking about options, 
consulting, so there will be a, a, a very thorough consultation that will be launched. And uh, I think this is the best thing we, we can and should do because uh, there are so many questions on AI and on whether, you know, how far you should regulate and, and, and why and where that the last thing we need to do is to rush into something. So uh, we will, things will become clearer as soon as we have a new commission. But in any case, be ready for, uh, if you're interested in this, uh, be ready for a phase of discussion and, and uh, uh, consultation that will start quite, quite soon uh, on the basis of uh, some ideas of a proposal. Uh, from, the, from the Commission. Now, there is, is, it's not only the Commission. Yesterday, for example, there was a big announcement in, in Germany of the, the data, data Ethics Committee that, uh, that has a, a very important report that relates very much to this. So there are lots of ideas and things flying around that we should take into account, and this is what we will do. Um, so just a couple of things that are maybe uh, a, a bit uh, on the information side. If you're interested in this, uh, in this area and uh, in what the European uh, Union is doing, this is the AI Alliance platform. So you, you can go there. This is a place where you have a lot of discussion led actually by the high-level group members, many of them. Uh, some resources, uh, some uh, uh, lots of interesting uh, resources on AI. And this is another platform that might be useful to some of you. It's the AI Watch platform, so uh, something that we are launching now that is building up to uh, go deeper into investments, into technology monitoring, etc. Something we are also uh, interested in uh, developing together with the OECD so that we have uh, something that, uh, that is uh, broader and more uh, more complete. Now, just as a way of uh, maybe first uh, concluding a bit, so what I've presented is what I think is, is a strategy that is a kind of a mix between investment, excellence in research and innovation, and uh, making sure that we have the right framework for AI. Uh, some of us present this as uh, an opportunity to, to have a, a third a European, we could say a European slash Japanese third way maybe, I don't know, between the, the US view where you would have a lot of investment, very, very few rules, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, company-led activities, and the Chinese view where you would have probably a lot more dirigism and, and, and way and, and uh, different approaches, also different views on, the, uh, on, on how to treat data, on how to treat privacy, etc. So we believe, or some of us believe, that we have the opportunity to have a third way. I think we have shown that we can show the way in some of these very important uh, areas, for example, with GDPR on the privacy side, because this is something that is now uh, I think received relatively well, despite, of course, some, some issues. It's not perfect. But we know, for example, that in Asia, in the US, uh, a lot of companies, a lot of people think that this is, that uh, having such a, a framework for data is important. So if we can do something maybe along the same line, along the same way, on AI, it would be also very useful. And I think there, uh, Japan would be a, a, a very good partner. So my last slide, uh, as I said already, it's a crowded field. Uh, there is a lot going on, on the, in terms of human-centric 
AI framework. Uh, there is OECD, there is uh, G7, so there is talk about a global partnership that originated in G7. Uh, not very clear where this is going, but uh, this could become one important platform to achieve a, a global consensus. Uh, there was the very important work of the Japanese presidency on the G20 for the, for the, uh, uh, the declaration on AI. There is UNESCO, there is Council of Europe, that's also important. Standardization, a lot going on as well. Some are ahead, IEEE is already quite advanced. Uh, the, the, some, uh, some Europeans are trying to catch up, I think, since in the leg. So on the way forward, I think we, uh, uh, we are now, the first thing is to complete our piloting phase, and there we are happy to get more uh, companies, uh, and why not Japanese companies, if, if uh, some of you can, uh, can maybe uh, do the intermediary and, and, and uh, draw the attention of some uh, companies that, or organizations in Japan that could be interested in testing these things, would be useful. Uh, maybe we can organize more exchanges of views on regulatory needs. Now, if you have a bit more time, maybe that's, that's good news. And then we are interested in, in going further into bilateral discussions with, as I said, like-minded countries. And I think I would put Japan definitely in this group. Uh, and then later, what will be needed is to build on these bilateral exchanges and, and once we have a consensus among us, to move to a higher level of consensus at world level. So that's what I wanted to say on AI and, and regulation. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we had the presentation about the EU strategy for AI, then Mr. Narita for a little bit of the Japanese perspective. So, mic is on? Is this mic Okay. Um, uh, well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Tatsuji Narita. I'm working for uh, Japanese government. And actually, uh, Japanese government newly established the organization uh, to tackle the digital market uh, problems, issues, and I'm uh, responsible for that uh, organization. So I'm very pleased to be here, to have opportunity uh, to exchange the views on this very um, quickly changing difficult task. And, and I'm very thank you to uh, Kobe University's people and also the Rubio people to have this opportunity. So. Uh, I want to talk uh, to you today is, uh, mainly three things. One is, uh, uh, as I said, you know, Japanese government established a new organization, so why was that and what's the uh, concept of this? And uh, secondly, uh, what we see as um, challenges uh, for this uh, area. And thirdly, um, you know, we, we decided to do the five issues to be addressed in the coming months. So this is the third uh, topic. But um, in addition to that, uh, my, these main three things are not focused on only your AI, I'm sorry. But uh, uh, because of this, today's topic is AI, I can add uh, some uh, initiative which uh, Japanese government is currently trying. So uh, let me start. Um, okay. I'm sorry, uh, too, too much uh, letters here. 
But uh, as I said, please take a look at the, the, the last sentence of the blue box. Uh, as I said, uh, last month, Japanese government uh, established the headquarters for digital market competition. So the uh, reason why government decided to establish was uh, mainly two. One is, uh, uh, of course, we need to gather the experts from economy or uh, lawyers or engineers. So we need to combine these experts' uh, knowledge. And uh, secondly, um, since this is um, bring a broad, uh, complicated uh, questions, so that's why uh, government want to take a cross-sectional approach and to cover whole Japanese government policy. And then lower part is uh, describing the structure of the organization. So the top one is the headquarters itself, uh, which is composed of uh, related ministers uh, led by chief cabinet secretary. And uh, this organization was established in the cabinet secretariat, which I'm belonging to, and which can cover whole government issues, government policies. And then below that, uh, we set also set up the council, which is composed of uh, related ministers and experts. And then finally, uh, below that uh, council, we also set up the working group, uh, which is composed of the experts, you know, 10 to 15 people uh, from uh, economics and legal and also the technology. So this is uh, the organization which we established. And So what is the concerns in the digital market currently? Um, everybody knows that uh, one issue is uh, concerns of uh, competition policy, competition situation. And the secondly, uh, the privacy issues, of course. And the thirdly, uh, uh, these concerns could expand from uh, just virtual business to uh, real economy, real business field. And I, can, I think that I, we can share this kind of concerns with EU friends because you know, we both of us have uh, you know, great companies in the automobile or some machinery. It's a real business, but this you know, AI and the data-driven economy to expand. So the same concerns could expand. So then uh, right-hand side approach, again, uh, this organization is trying to you know, uh, overall view and take a lead of uh, competition policy or and privacy policy, and also to stimulate the companies to, to adjust to this changing data-driven economy. And one of the mission of the new uh, organization is uh, to do the competition assessment of uh, some specific digital market. I can talk to you later. And also another important aspect of this organization is uh, to collaborate with uh, foreign governments because you know, this problem is expanding globally. So even though the you know, Japanese government decided to introduce something new, it doesn't work because it works well because you know, just small Japanese market doesn't necessarily affect the business model itself. So that's why I'm here to exchange views with your EU friends. And thirdly, so um, please take a look at the, the upper hand the, in the blue box, which is saying that uh, uh, we initiated the uh, discussion in early this month, October 4th. Uh, we started the discussion in the council and then set up five issues to be addressed uh, in coming month. 
And so you can see here uh, five boxes, and then three orange boxes are related to the competition policy. And the green one is a privacy policy, and the blue one is a, a assessment. So uh, let me explain the first one, the, the left upper side of the orange box. Uh, Japanese government is trying to uh, amend the guidelines under Anti-Monopoly Act, uh, which is dealing with uh, the M&A investigation. As you know, that data economy and the, you know the big digital platforms uh, is trying to purchase the small startups, and the current guideline does fit to investigate those kind of activity. That's one. And then secondly, uh, we also are trying to introduce a new bill on transparency issues of uh, uh, digital platforms, which is very similar to uh, EU uh, P2B regulation. And thirdly, uh, again, this is also a competition policy, but the uh, Japanese government is trying to create a new guideline, which is dealing with uh, abuse of a superior bargaining position between digital platforms and uh, consumers. Uh, actually, this, everybody is saying the ASBP, ASBP2, uh, is quite unique in the Japanese uh, uh, Anti-Monopoly Act. I heard that you know, before, maybe uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, other countries are not necessarily interested in this tool. But recently, the other government is quite becoming interested in this tool because you know, this is not dealing with a dominant com company, but a relative superior uh, position could hurt the competition. So uh, this too is addressing, for example, the relationship between big company and SMEs. And the big company is not necessarily be a dominant player, but if that's a superior to the SME, as you know, the SMEs have uh, a difficulty to negotiate the conditions. So this is the idea. But now this new guideline is expand um, not only the B2B relationship, but the to B2C relationship, because um, a lot of concerns uh, regarding the data, you know, collection or data usage between the uh, digital platforms and consumers. So this is quite new. And then uh, upper right hand side, the green uh, box is saying that uh, we also are trying to revise the Privacy Act. And then finally. Uh, we, uh, we decided to initiate the competition assessment on the digital advertising market, which is uh, obviously a significant impact in terms of the business model of the digital platform, and also there are a lot of uh, concerns from the privacy issues. And I can uh, touch upon you know, these uh, policy initiatives which, uh, which have some um, aspect of the AI. So, for example, more letters, I'm sorry. But uh, so here is uh, describing the uh, overall uh, picture of the new guideline for the Anti-Monopoly Act to deal with the M&A investigation. So when the JFTC, uh, the agency, uh, authority, uh, is uh, trying to do the investigation on the M&A, um, basically, they need to define the market 
and also they need to judge whether there is a possibility of the competition restraints. And for example, uh, uh, regarding the competition restraint, uh, so far GFTC is utilizing basically the market share. But since you know, digital platforms is trying to buy small startups which doesn't have any sales, so this guideline does work. So that's why we clearly uh, put the wording for the, you know, the JFTC could see not only the market share, but also the direct or indirect network effects, and also the possibility of the elimination of the new entry. Um, and also, uh, we put the evaluation methods on um, of the data accumulation because of uh, caused by the M&A. So this is saying that so maybe the four parameters is here. One is uh, volume and variety, value, and velocity. These uh, parameters could be used to uh, uh, judge whether the data accumulation could hurt the competition. Of course, you know, AI needs data, so that is critical for the companies to, to compete each other in terms of the usage of the AI technology. So, and next one, um, yes, here. So, as I said, uh, the second um, policy initiative which we are trying to introduce is a bill on the transparency issues. Again, as I said, uh, this is similar to the P2B regulation in EU. Uh, but you can hear, uh, so, so we, uh, under this law, uh, we will require the digital platforms to do the, uh, more disclosure, including, for example, the possibility of access data. So digital platforms you know, sometimes allow the companies to, uh, to access to their data, but sometimes they will not allow. So we will encourage them to, or obligate them to uh, disclose. If not, why? Uh, and also, maybe um, I did not uh, add here, but uh, another uh, disclosure item gonna be, uh, you know, uh, how the platforms determine the ranking of the search or ranking of the, you know, shopping. You know, we require, you know, the companies to disclose, for example, the parameters or how, you know, prioritize those parameters. Uh, that could be the one aspect. And finally, um, this, the third one, which might be related to the AI itself, is a competition assessment. As I said, uh, Japanese government decided uh, to start the assessment on the digital advertise, uh, advertising market. And this uh, has uh, two dimensions, as you know, in the multi-sided market. You know, one is, of course, the digital advertising market itself. So we will do the competition analysis on that market. But also, you know, the platformers collect the data and utilize to profile each customers. So this is through search engine or map or um, SNS. So another issue is, of course, related to the privacy issues as well. So people actually don't know, usually people don't know, you know, how they, their data are now be collected by the platforms and also how much deeply uh, the platforms do the profilings of each customer. 
So this is, of course, related to the AI technology. But uh, maybe uh, the issues here uh, it could be you know, how much the digital platforms uh, could collect the data and how, much, how deeply uh, they're using, using the, those data by utilizing that uh, AI technology to do the profiling. Because it could, of course, it helps the efficiency of the business or of uh, advertising uh, activity. But also, you know, it could uh, create some uh, danger of the discrimination or whatever. So uh, those are maybe uh, some aspects which is related to the AI technology. And finally, I'm sorry I didn't prepare for uh, the slides. Uh, but uh, since uh, today's main topic is AI, I can touch upon the other initiative which is um, done by Japanese government. So um, maybe I think that it's uh, Japanese companies uh, relatively similar position with uh, EU companies, you know, AI technology led by, unfortunately, by the US and the China. But uh, that, again, as I said, the, this competition is uh, expanding from the virtual business to real business. So if the, our companies you know, are beaten by those um, other countries and other companies, our, you know, the potential of the growth could be hurt. So this is, I think, uh, for the Japanese government and Japanese companies, which is very critical, I think. So uh, we are you know, doing uh, several initiatives for the policy side, but I can uh, introduce, I can present to you three uh, uh, initiatives. One is uh, uh, to do the AI-oriented uh, business. Uh, we, they need data. And currently, the big companies in Japan have a lot of data, especially in real world, like automobile companies or machinery companies. That, is, that could be an advantage of them. But how to utilize the technology? And currently, it's a uh, more the ventures are coming up in Japan, uh, which is uh, developing the AI technology. So government is trying to help to, uh, for, for these ventures, uh, startups, and also the big companies which have uh, big data, and collaborate each other. So we kind of uh, uh, taking this kind of initiative to encourage both of them to work together. That is one initiative. And then secondly, uh, we also doing some uh, sector-specific uh, projects, uh, such as uh, automobile, so mobility, or infrastructure, or you know, the smart home or smart life, you know, which the, the data uh, brought in a home, at home. And also the healthcare, and what else, uh, some factories. So this, could, this area could be uh, our strength of Japanese company and the Japanese industry. So that's why government is um, uh, set up the, you know, the uh, project to encourage the companies to work together. And the issue here is uh, you know, how the companies can share the data. Because you know, the companies don't want to share the data with uh, their competitors. But uh, maybe the governments help them to identify the data which should be shared and which should not be shared in terms of the competition. So uh, that is uh, the second initiative I can tell you. And thirdly, 
uh, is uh, the human resource issues. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, the leading engineers in this AI field, unfortunately, you know, the China and the US is leading. But uh, in terms of how to utilize uh, those AI technology and data issues um, to realize uh, the business itself, I think there are a lot of opportunities even for the Japanese companies because how to utilize and adjust to the real business, people should know what the business looks like. You know, maybe digital platformer is very good at uh, analyzing the data, but as far as they don't know what the automobile industry manufacturing is look like, or you know how the manufacturing uh, plant factory is working, so these kind of uh, uh, aspects could be uh, advantage of the Japanese companies or maybe the EU companies. So, but in order to achieve that, uh, we should uh, encourage the companies to train the ordinary you know, engineers in their own companies to know how AI technology works for their business. So I think there are a lot of uh, opportunities for the companies and then uh, create the AI-driven uh, uh, business model. So uh, that's why uh, we you know, encourage them to, to help the uh, training for the uh, employees of those companies. So those are the areas I can talk to now, but you know, I'm very happy to answer to your questions uh, furthermore. But anyway, thank you very much. And I'm, thank you. Okay. And the last presentation from Scott Marcus on the prospects for the EU-Japan cooperation. And there we go. Okay, well, uh, a lot of what needs to be said has already been said. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be making some very general comments today, uh, and in many cases stating the obvious, but sometimes it's not a bad thing to state the obvious. So uh, that, that's really where we're headed now. The, um, the question mark that uh, Guntram talked about this morning, the, the topic for the panel is EU and Japan leaders in AI development. And so certainly a first threshold question is, to what extent really are the EU and Japan leaders in AI development? They're certainly players. That's not a question. Um, what are the issues that are at stake here? And what are the implications for public policy of the positioning of the EU and of Japan? So that's really where I wanted to go with the talk today. And it'll be a brief talk. But uh, the, the, the first point is, of course, uh, as I think has been clear from all that we've heard in both panels today, the opportunity for artificial intelligence, machine learning, and this uh, set of interrelated capabilities, you could add Internet of Things and a number of others into the mix, the collective benefits to the world are simply enormous. Um, I like to quote a study that was done by McKinsey Global Institute, and if you look at the annual global benefits in that study, they're measured in multiple trillions of dollars per year. Now, that's pretty darn big numbers. So the, uh, the importance of what we're talking about here uh, is really quite huge. Uh, robotics is, uh, is sort of part of that mix, Internet of Things. It's a, this is a big stakes issue. And so the natural question is really where 
relative to these issues do Europe and Japan stand? And we'll know in a second. There we go. Okay, so most experts see the lead in these fields as being with the United States and increasingly with China. Uh, there is clearly risk for the European Union and for Japan of being to some extent squashed between the combat of the elephants. Um, and, um, and it is an issue. Uh, you see massive investments being made by China. Uh, the United States, even though historically it's been very reticent about what I would call industrial policy, the United States also is looking at large investments and large initiatives. Uh, and also changes uh, in their policy as regards shipments of technology around the world. So uh, again, you see changes on a large scale. Uh, this is actually from commission data in a fact sheet from a couple of years back. Um, and so what's wrong with this picture? Um, well, clearly the United States, the, the, uh, North America, mostly the United States, is a big bar. Uh, the Asia bar is mostly China, more so than Japan. <clears throat> the EU, and, and this is private investment, so government investment is a separate question. But the level of investment in the European Union is clearly below where one would want it to be, to be a first or second player at global scale. That's just the reality. And that's not necessarily to say that it can be changed. Now, Brexit, well, we don't know quite yet what's going to be with Brexit. We think we might know. Maybe it'll be. Um, but it surely doesn't help. Now, different forms of Brexit would have different impacts on the picture. But by all measures, uh, the UK represents a very large fraction of the European Union's artificial intelligence capability today. And that capability is sort of leaving. And the degree to which cooperation will continue um, you know, hopefully is there. Um, certainly over the last couple of years, lots of forms of academic cooperation, intellectual cooperation have been harmed by the uncertainty. Uh, maybe we'll get past that in the coming months, one hopes. Um, but again, Brexit doesn't help. Uh, actually, I should explain, by the way, uh, these data, I'll be make, quoting another set of results. These are OECD data, and they're data on investments uh, made mainly by venture firms into startups. So it's not the whole story, but it's certainly indicative. The OECD thought that these were important enough to publish the results. Now, we also have a changing geopolitical situation. The previous speakers spoke about it, but I think they were a little reluctant to, to be too blunt about it. Um, you've had, historically, a very close cooperative relationship between the EU and the United States, very strong cooperation. Uh, today, we see strains on that cooperation. We see trade war. Um, the US actually is in the middle of a process. Uh, there's already been a consultation held by the Department of, Congress, uh, of Commerce uh, and legislation already in place to restudy the whole question of export controls and a foreign direct investment. And there's a list of just a couple of pages of the technologies that they're worried about. And you'll see that technologies like artificial intelligence and robots are very prominent on that list. And part of the reason why they come into play here as well is that many of these technologies are also dual use. 
they have military applications as well as civilian. Um, a third area, and one, by the way, that uh, Bruegel has actually experienced at first hand, uh, is it's becoming increasingly difficult to get visas for experts into the United States to work on these topics. So again, many forms of cooperation are under challenge, and this raises questions about uh, where the relationship is going. Again, you've, you've, got, a, you've got a global industry increasingly uh, dominated by United States and China, uh, and the risk of abrupt, unpredictable disruption to supply chains has to be taken seriously. Uh, the, uh, you know, clearly the most recent experience we've seen with that is with Huawei. Um, one can debate that. I won't uh, go into the details. But uh, the disruption supply chains is something that we wouldn't have expected to see at that level in previous years. And I don't think it's going to get better, and I don't think it's necessarily limited to one US president. Uh, for me, as someone born in the United States, these are painful statements to make. But I think one has to deal with the realities as they are. So clear implications, I, I've argued in, in multiple papers for, for Europe, is that there's a need for us to broaden our supply chains and selectively to become more self-sufficient in areas where it's practical for us to do that. Some mix of the two, you know, one, one has to be pragmatic here. And I think very largely the same considerations probably are relevant to Japan. They're certainly worth looking at. Now, that's the diagnosis on the EU side. Here I'm coming back to the same uh, OECD data, and let's uh, see what the development over time looks like in uh, different regions of the world. Let's see, this doesn't work very well on this kind of screen. Okay, so if you look here though, you see, first you see there's a huge increase in venture investments uh, in uh, startup companies. Uh, really dramatic increase from 2016 to 2017, and the first half 2018 data much the same as visible. Um, so those numbers are really shooting up. Um, now, one has to be a little careful here. These data are only venture investments, so you're not looking at um, government investments. And also, what we've heard in the, in the presentation from Professor Hajiwara this morning, um, a lot of the activity in Japan is from large companies. If a Fujitsu, if a Toshiba, if an NEC is looking for money to, fu to fund some research in artificial intelligence, they're not going to the venture capital market for, uh, for, for a small investment. So some of this isn't there. Um, but it's still worth noting that you've got big gray bar for the U for US, nearly as big light blue bar for China. The little piece up there that you can barely see is Japan. Now, um, again, this understates the investment in Japan, I'm quite sure. Um, but still, uh, it's, uh, it's significant. You have to figure that some of these venture investments in startup companies as a, can be thought of as a leading indicator on certain kinds of innovation. Now, the, um, the technology strategy that Japan published in 2016 uh, also made this assessment of the position in Japan. And it said, looking at the number of papers related to AI, number of Japanese papers falls below the number of papers in US and China. Uh, what Professor Hajiwara was talking about this morning wasn't papers, it was patents. That's a different measure. Uh, clear that there's insufficient investment in research and development by both public and private sectors. So I think my point would be uh, the picture here is really not so different from that for the European Union. It's clear that these efforts need to be 
reinvigorated. Japanese government has been, wor been working on this for quite some time. This is, a, again, a picture of a multi-phased approach, 2020, 2025, and so on, that the Japanese government has been looking to initiate. And here you'll see there's a focus on some particular areas. There are areas like the industrial sector. There's areas like transportation. By, by the way, I don't claim to be an expert on any of this, but, uh, but I, I've, I've glanced at the documents. Um, but um, still, these are areas that Europeans can relate to. They're some of the same areas that we would tend to focus on. Now, there's also a, a companion document that uh, was essentially Japanese talking points in international negotiations. And if you look at the first one, it's uh, the relevance of artificial intelligence to a human-centered society. The um, mission statement to, uh, to Executive Vice President Vestager that was quoted in the opening remarks by my managing director, Dr. Wolf, and uh, again uh, put on the screen just a few minutes ago, um, really talks about exactly this. It talks about human and ethical focus uh, for artificial intelligence, and I think also more broadly. And what we've heard, I believe, it very loud and clear in the last two presentations, is that the kinds of concerns that we have with human with humanity, with ethics, with the use of these technologies uh, is probably far closer between the EU and Japan than it is between the EU and either China or the United States. And I think I'd make the same statement pointing the other way too. You know, that these are, these are regions of the world that have some common values here and therefore a sound basis for discussion. So um, the, the, the points I would uh, make here again so there's some commonality in the elements that uh, would tend to be focused here and there. European strengths often aren't in artificial intelligence as a pure software bit. A lot of the things that we're especially good at here tend to be things where either sensors or actuators are involved, things where somehow there's industrial controls, mobility involved, things like that. Um, so in, to some degree, we're really looking at some of the same strengths. That's good in terms of making cooperation easier. It might be a little less good, meaning that there's a little less complementarity than there could be. But still, you know, there's a basis there for a discussion. Um, clearly, if you look at Germany and France, a lot of these uh, Industry 4.0 topics are relevant. Um, if you look at uh, the, um, the approach to cooperation and the approach to ethics and, and, uh, and human values in these things, again, you see a broadly similar uh, focus between the EU and, uh, and Japan. And um, also, uh, in terms of geopolitical threats, I would argue that uh, the EU and Japan are subject to largely the same geopolitical threats. So um, at, at, the, uh, at the risk of pointing out the obvious, um, and I think this was implicit in the, in the presentations that we heard just a minute ago, there's a very strong basis for cooperation here, and I think it needs to be looked at. And there are many instruments that can be used to do that in terms of research, in terms of public-private partnerships, in terms of all the things that we've heard about from both of the previous speakers. And with that... Um Okay, so we have had the three presentations. The first one about the EU strategy on AI, the second one about the initiatives and plans from the Japanese government, and then as a very nice conclusion to all of that, summing up, the presentation on a lot of 
common points between EU and Japan, and the, the sound basis for cooperation between, between the two areas. So now I would like to open uh, the floor and uh, ask for the questions or comments uh, from the audience. When you ask the question, can you please uh, state your name and uh, your organization? The mic should be coming here, please. Hmm? <laughs> All right, it's just uh, the magic hands and that. Uh... <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for these three very interesting uh, presentation. I'm, I'm Nicolas Moes from the Future Society. We are uh, a non-profit uh, uh, that deals with the governance of artificial intelligence, advocating for uh, good governance of artificial intelligence, preserving uh, um, safety, dignity, and, and the prosperity, let's say, of, uh, of uh, uh, well, humans, let's say it. Um, there is... Um, Several questions that uh, that uh, follow, but I will focus on the on the priority one for me. Is that indeed there is uh, a room for for cooperation? But as uh, as uh, Monsieur Badiquier has mentioned, there is also a very crowded space. Uh, there is a lot of international uh, initiatives that are there. So, for example, the OECD AI Policy Observatory that is uh, in building the global partnership on AI that. Canada and Canada and France and France have, have uh, pushed forward. I was wondering uh, whether Japan and, and, and uh, the EU would actually approach, uh, uh, how, how concretely would, would they approach these international efforts, in, in particular the AI policy observatory and uh, the global partnership on AI, since in the case of the EU there has been um, multiple statements that uh, the EU wanted to become a global rule maker uh, for AI, similar to the, to the, the impact that GDPR has had. Um, so I was wondering whether uh, at DigiConnect already or in, within uh, uh, the Japanese uh, institutions there has already been th uh, thoughts given to how to approach this, uh, this international forum. Um, and yeah, of course, whether there is a cooperative approach as well in that, like a, a common position in these uh, uh, issues. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Maybe we will ask for two more questions and then ask the speakers to uh, reply to the areas they uh, feel strong with. Any other questions or comments? Nothing. Come on. <laughs> oh. Ah. Who was first? <laughs> okay, here. Uh, yes, uh, I have a question for the first presentation. Uh, please wait a moment. Sorry. Sorry, for the first presentation. And um, I was wondering whether also you would like uh, at, at European Commission level to have some uh, study, that study the impact of the new European regulation for privacy. Have you have uh, thought or an idea of the first impact for a company? Uh, are you doing any impact study of this policy? Because I know that in re on research, uh, uh, there are very few few papers on that, and I would really like to know which are the position of the European Commission, because uh, as any policy, it's very nice to have an impact, on okay, at least a policy evaluation, because it's a, a real and important uh, policy. There are a lot of discussion on that, but uh, there is any initiative to really measure the impact at different level, because uh, the study that I have in mind now are very narrow, so maybe you can have a more uh, wide perspective. And then uh, it's very nice to speak about cooperation between researchers and companies. I am a researcher, 
and it's very complicated to have access all the time with all this project. And this is for everybody, not only for you, and also for Japanese. For example, in France now we have a, a new research uh, in, in initiative to push research in cooperation with French institutions, German and Japanese. And uh, I know that in the end the budget allocated to this uh, initiative are very low, very so in, basically, it's nice to say we needed to do research together and new initiative, but that means that we need also um, uh, resource, money, time, and uh, um, so. But you, so it's very nice to say we need to do that and that. But then when you come to research, and I'm speaking about as a researcher now, we that's take a lot of time, and resource. Uh, usually the. Uh, the probability to get it's very low, so what you, what you wanted to do. And uh, last but not least, uh, I'm working on this topic for a while, and uh, I had a very difficult time to finance my first PhD working on artificial intelligence. And it was uh, two years ago, almost three years ago, and people said that it was not interesting, okay? Now, those people, they say they was not a thing, now changing their mind, of course, but a very difficult time to find the, in the end I found it, but it was very time consuming for me and for my students. Just to finance a PhD is not a lot of money, so what are the, the real initiative huh, to work on that, because uh, to work, there are very few communities working on digital economy in the end, in Europe. Uh, I can mention very few, so. Okay, thank you very much. I know that it's not easy. Questions actually. I think it's the right time to ask this question. Mm -hmm. So shall we ask for the question from here as well? Sorry. My clock just stopped. Could you show me? Well, thank you very much for today's great three presentations. My name is Hiroki Habuka uh, uh, from the Japanese government, Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry. So I have a question about governance of AI. Um, now uh, we heard about like uh, rule making about AI, like ethics, so transparency, accountability, explainability. But they're all about rule making. But the government governance is not only rule making, but you should also have uh, monitoring and uh, enforcement. And uh, now the Japan government is uh, trying to, uh, to to consider what would be the best way for not only rulemaking, but also monitoring and enforcement. So about the monitoring, it's very hard for regulators to see how the algorithm is actually working. So even if the company says we are comply with this uh, ethics guideline, but whether they are actually complying with that would be another question. So uh, how we can, or regulators, or even society can check the compliance of uh, the, the guidelines, or ethics, or any rulemaking would be one challenge. And about enforcement, um, traditionally uh, the regulators uh, could find a person who is blamed, to be blamed for um, negligence, misconduct. But when the artificial intelligence decides uh, like auto autonomous decision making, it's very hard to decide which person, which entity uh, should be blamed for the default. Or maybe we shouldn't uh, blame uh, for anybody because it's uh, unexpectable. Uh, uh, so uh, like machine learning is based on uh, uh, 
statistics. So there should be some uh, wrongdoing. And when it comes to deep learning, it's really hard to uh, explain why it happened. So uh, under such circumstances, uh, it's very hard to uh, to you know to to what to 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 whom we should uh, enforce and. Uh, enforce the law or not? Yeah, these are my questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So, shall we ask our speakers to try to answer some of these uh, questions here? So, maybe from Eric. Uh, okay, so thank you. A lot of questions. Uh, on, on the first question on the, um, the international efforts, uh, yes, indeed, uh, I think the, the two uh, probably first groups that, that come into mind are, the, are these AI policy uh, 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 group on, in the OECD and the GPI. The, I think the GPI is still very much uh, unclear. I mean, we are involved in this discussion. We have uh, meetings, I think, every second week uh, since the, the G7 uh, meeting. Uh, but we, uh, it, the, the interaction between the OECD Work on AI uh, and the uh, and this new group is not completely clear. There are also some some sensitivities uh, related, probably also a lot to the to the U.S. position within the OECD. Uh, so I think it's it's still early days to know whether this will even fly or not. Uh, if it does, uh, it could be, uh, and I think there are a number of, of areas that have been. Uh, uh, proposed. There are four areas that have been proposed to, uh, for for the work. Uh, one of them relates to uh, to ethical, to ethics, and to an ethical framework for AI. And uh, this could be our position that this could be a good a, a good platform to reach a, a more a broader consensus. But uh, I would say we need to wait a bit uh, until and to see how how the things evolve uh, because. Uh, as we said, the OECD is, is, is already doing quite a lot of work, and, and this balance between what the OECD would do and the new group is not clear. Uh, on the, the second question, uh, there was a question on the, uh, if I understood well, so, so whether the GDPR, whether there is an impact assessment of the GDPR. Uh, I think that there is something. I cannot give you the, the, uh, the exact details because that's, that's not exactly my file, but I can, I can help you to find out. That's no, no problem. But uh, of course we're interested in having, uh, in having uh, uh, more data on how this is being implemented. I think the, uh, we have some uh, anecdotal, if we can say, evidence that uh, uh, this is well received uh, in, in a lot of places and not only in Europe. That this is making the, uh, the this is actually helping also uh, significantly, but uh, and that this is also being uh, this is an inspiration for for other regions of the world. Uh, but I, I don't think we have a, a very solid evaluation yet. But I'm pretty sure there are, there are some studies going on, and there are some. Uh, so if, maybe if we can talk later, uh, you can give me your card, and I'll, I'll get back to you with uh, more details and, and contacts. Um, well, you asked kind of a more general question about, uh, okay, it's nice to say, yeah, let's cooperate, uh, but we need the means. Uh, of course, that's exactly what we are saying uh, now. We are selling a big package uh, to the political level. We have proposed, you know, quite, a, quite an ambitious package for research, for deployment, etc. This includes also, and this is your next question on how to finance a PhD, etc. This includes also a big package, uh, 700 million 
as part of the uh, for seven years, which is for skills, which is quite sizable, I would say, uh, to uh, to have uh, to support PhDs, to support uh, new courses in AI, to have also uh, more work between our platforms. So we have a number of technological platforms in cyber, in AI, in in HPC. Uh, to have them to get involved in developing some new courses and some new training opportunities uh, for these areas. So I think there the answer is, first we need to have the, the response from the, from the ones who give the money, so, so from the, the, the finance ministers uh, in Germany, in France and elsewhere. Uh, and, and then we can have uh, some, some support. Now, for the rest, of course, this will remain uh, competitive programs, as we know. This is never easy. Uh, and we know the frustration because, uh, they're, they're, of course, you have to, to, to submit a lot of proposals in order to get one. Uh, but I think uh, it's, it's the same situation probably in Japan. There's also a lot of competition there. Uh, but if we, if we get this funding, I think we will make sure that uh, the international uh, cooperation part will, will also have, uh, will be earmarked so that we can finance such, such projects. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so on, then there was a question, oh yes, on the AI governance. Um, so on the monitoring and the checking of compliance, uh, I, I think there this is really part of the discussion we need to have in, in shaping this proposal. And uh, we, we hope to get a lot of input from the consultation we will launch. Uh, there might be a case for uh, organizing some kind of exchange. As we said, there are lots of commonalities between the EU and Japan. Uh, would we be able at this point to, to talk about how to implement this kind of regulations or, or whether there is a need for regulation? I don't know if it's, if it's credible to think that we could organize something like this, an exchange. But yes, the... Sorry, you want me to speed up? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, but OK, so quickly. I think on compliance, uh, we, this is Europe, so uh, we are also very aware of the fact that member states need to, to continue to have their responsibilities, so we would not, uh, I mean, there are, there are a number of options, but uh, uh, a very likely option is that compliance would rely on, uh, on the organizations that are already looking at, uh, at uh, for example, safety areas, if you say uh, safety of, of cars, you have you have structures that are there. So uh, what we would be talking about is probably to reinforce their capability, to network them with others so that there is a good understanding of the new issues brought by AI. This would be for compliance. And uh, for enforcement, that's also, that's also a big question. Who should be liable? And there, I don't think we have the answer. I mean, uh, you know, we, we have to look at the whole chain between the developer all the way to the user. Uh, the, the, the new thing, which is the difficulty with AI, is that you can train a system and retrain a system. So that means, do you need to uh, certify? Do you need to recertify every time you retrain the system? Uh, do you need to, to set the bar somewhere so that <coughs> if a system is critical, then you will uh, outlaw it completely or not allow it to be retrainable because that, that could be a question uh, if you have a, an autonomous car and you and you have an automatic training uh, and then something goes wrong because uh, because the training has not functioned uh, correctly you you may have a problem so i think there are lots of, of very 
pertinent questions, and I don't think we have the answers yet, but just we have some ideas and we will consult on them. Okay, thank you very so. much. If you can. <coughs> well, thank you very much for your questions. And maybe my responsibility is to your question, I think, that cooperation, as is described, uh, uh, Japan and EU uh, closely cooperate with this matter, especially this year, uh, this year, G20, is a big, big event for us in Japan, and uh, we really appreciate that the cooperation from the EU colleagues and to set up a kind of a common, you know, um, the human-centric principles. So I think that was well done, I think. And then also, uh, furthermore, you know, the OECD could be <coughs> the good driver for the cooperation further. So uh, we will continue cooperate with uh, your EU friends. And maybe you ask, <laughs> do you ask me to? <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I'll stop here. <laughs> okay. Is that fine? <laughs> okay, so. Well, you, you can answer. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's an important question, but it's really difficult. So. <laughs> but at this moment, the Japanese government has not decided to uh, introduce some uh, regulation on the AI usage itself. It's, you know, we currently are uh, yes, to let the companies to define by themselves because you know, if too strict uh, regulation could be introduced, then it could hurt the innovation. But I'm really uh, looking forward to the hard job uh, <laughs> from you. And, uh, <laughs> 100 days. <laughs> Thank you for your. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I've got things to say on most of these. Uh, let's see, on the GDPR, there's actually a whole little cottage industry of think tanks putting together retrospectives <laughs> on how, how it's working. Uh, in the U.S., they do that, too, but it's usually commercial parties trying to say that it's terrible. Um, but uh, actually, if you look at the largest corporations in the United States, many of the large platforms are saying they would much rather have something like GDPR, which they've already come to terms with, uh, implemented in as many countries as possible, than having to have a couple of hundred different uh, regulatory frameworks for privacy in, in each different country. So um, I, I actually would say that there's, uh, there's a surprising degree of convergence globally, more so than was probably expected. Uh, on the education issue that you raised, well, okay, so uh, Bruegel is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a taker of funding, not a giver. Um, but um, the, the other issue that you raised about education, if we take it down from the, from the PhD level, there's going to be a huge need to deal with people whose work has changed as a result of automation and artificial intelligence. Uh, our work and some of the more recent work suggests that the net reduction in jobs won't be so big. Some of you will know that there were predictions years ago that there might be as much as 47% thrown out of work. I don't think, hardly anybody believes that today. Um, but still, the disruption is going to be huge, and therefore the need for training is also going to be huge. And unfortunately, this is not a problem that our friends at the Commission can do very much with. Their tools are limited because education is largely a prerogative of member states where the European institutions have, have a role, but it's more of a supporting role. Um, on your question, this has actually become a very active area of study. Um, for example, OECD Club of Regulators refers to it as regtex. Uh, it's an active point of discussion. Uh, I actually injected something on this into the research program for Bruegel for the next year. I think it's an important initiative. Uh, my sense is that it would be really good 
if the, uh, the co-legislators co in Europe could start doing more work to try to ensure that the regulations are as much as possible self-enforcing through automated means. And with the new emerging technologies with big data and artificial intelligence, there are possibilities to do this. The actual ways to do it are going to be very specific to particular sectors and particular pieces of legislation. I don't think there's any one-size-fits-all. And it also raises a pile of issues that come back to your last question as well. Uh, if, uh, something, if something bad happens as a result, you know, where's the recourse? Clearly, there has to be explainability. And explainability for artificial intelligence is really hard. Uh, if you ask somebody at Amazon why they priced a particular item at a particular price on a particular day, even though they wrote the algorithms, it's quite likely they can't tell you. So, um, you know, so getting to a real explainability and also ensuring that there's rights of recourse for, for those who think they've been harmed is going to be, I think, really important on all of this. Um, on the issue of blame, one more thing I'll toss in. Uh, indeed, it's, it, it, it's true. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a very nice white paper that the Commission put out in May talking about product and service liability in cases of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, and uh, what they argue is for products, we have a strict liability regime that makes it relatively easy for the consumer to argue that they've been injured. They don't actually have to prove liability on the part of the company. The logic has been that it's too hard for the consumer to get the information to do that. There's not an equivalent on services. And services are important. We've heard this repeatedly over the course of the day. So there's work to be done. Um, generally, uh, actually, on my, with my students in Florence, I like to give them a little case study about a drone that crashes into a crane that wasn't supposed to be there <laughs> and uh, lands on the street, happily not landing on anybody. But was it pilot error? Was it manufacturing error in the equipment? Was it software error? Was it a database error where the database should have known that the crane was there but wasn't? If it's in the device, then it's under the product uh, liability regime for goods. Uh, if it's in database, then it's under services and pilot error, who knows? So there's a lot, of, uh, there's a lot to get sorted out. OK, thank you very much. We have around seven minutes left. Any additional questions? Please, the lady in white. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm with uh, EuroAsia uh, Interlink in Brussels. Uh, I think I'm afraid I have a questions for Ms. Darita uh, here too, and perhaps uh, uh, the other two uh, panelists as well. For example, um, I think your point about uh, geopolitical uh, element uh, related to artificial intelligence is very important, and I think, namely concerning AI in China, for example, and also AI in, 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 in the US. So you, you, said, you, said, you talked about dual, actually, uh, strategy for AI. I think in that case, Europe is, in a way, I'm sorry to say, out of the picture uh, in the military side of it. That's a purely competition between the US and China. Now, coming back to um, uh, Japan, for example, you know, Japan has uh, Japan is uh, a technologically really powerful house, and given that uh, you suggested that there is a common ground, value-based like common ground to cooperate between Japan and uh, Europe for AI. Now, from Japanese point of view, 
certainly China is much closer to Japan. Geographically, also trading-wise, investment-wise, China, you have to consider, right? Geopolitically, otherwise. Um, probably, I wouldn't say that, but if not more, uh, then you would consider Europe for various reasons. Also, what you do with the China is relative to your trade and relationship with the all Asian countries, India and ASEAN all combined. So that is uh, actually a much bigger impact. Um, so from your point of view, given what is discussed here, where do you see, for example, policy cooperation for <laughs> Europe and Japan? Number one, that's my question. And how realistic is it, if it's realistically possible, what areas? And for uh, Mr. Badike, for example, uh, uh, you talked about this strategy and you were putting together a framework. Um, I think I'm afraid that given what EU does, normally with the coming of the framework, it will take a long time, I suppose, huh? I mean, which is necessary. Um, but if you look at the title here today, this morning it was about AI as a new uh, driving force. In the in the between and morning and afternoon, EU has become leader in the AI development. Actually, if you look at the, the afternoon title, um, because if you look at AI, I think Europe is definitely far far behind Japan and China and the US combined. Uh, seriously, yes. and there I think it probably B two B actually AI really B two B. Perhaps we have some potential. I say some potential. Um, so how do you see, for example, this actually AI becoming part of our competitive strategy? And will it be related to worldwide industrial policy, for example? And finally, for you, I mean, I mean, given what I asked him, what is your take on, for example, uh, you know, Japan and the EU? possible Japan-EU cooperation for AI. Thank okay, you. thank you very much. Please, very brief answers, please. Yeah, we don't have much time. Well, thank you very much for your interesting question. And first of all, um, uh, actually, maybe three, four years ago, uh, we, Japan, is feeling that, uh, you know, since EU is a little bit uh, far from China, so we are a little bit doubtful that, you know, the EU people are having the same feeling against China. But nowadays, obviously, the EU has shifting to, toward to the same direction with others, with ours. So in that sense, I think the basis of the cooperation between the EU and Japan is, I think, strengthened. And then the directly speak, answer to your question, the area, the possible area, I think that the two areas are uh, the very promising area. One is, uh, as we discussed, a policy area. We can collaborate to set up the kind of standard or the human-centric principles. That those kind of rules, I don't know, not only Japan but also EU, and then we can collaborate for setting the global standard that could um, you know, address the challenge from the China world. And secondly, uh, uh, I think that again, as I uh, told you in uh, my presentation that. Uh, the expanding to the real world, real business world, for example, the factories, you know, the machineries, IoT thing, I think that could be uh, the, you know, the advantage of Japanese companies and also European countries, the companies. 
So that those are the areas we can collaborate on the project base or, you know, actually the you know, companies in those areas, like machinery companies in Japan and the machinery companies in uh, Europe uh, already uh, made some uh, cooperation you know, together. So that is, uh, I think, the area of the, uh, the cooperation. Okay, thank you. Eric, around one minute, please. One minute? That will be difficult. <laughs> okay, maybe two. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you. So on the framework, yes, Europe takes a long time. Uh, we know we have 28 member states, maybe 27 soon. It might be a bit faster. I don't know. But with all the energy spent on Brexit, if we rechannel it to, to useful things, that might be, might be good. So I don't think it will take so long. I, that's why we have the 100 days. So it's, a bit, it's actually a bit crazy. It will not happen in 100 days now, probably to have the full, the full uh, uh, story, but it will happen relatively fast. I think there is, there is a political will to, to, to do something and to set some, some uh, guidelines and, and limits and framework to this. Is the EU far behind? You said we are far behind. I don't believe this, and we don't want to believe this. We, we think we have, uh, we have a lot of assets. We think we have very good research groups on the AI. We have a, a excellent people. We have a very big strength also, and this was said in earlier presentations, on, on uh, uh, industrial strength, on embedded systems, etc. So maybe we've lost, lost in, in bracket. The first battle of AI in terms of uh, you know consumer data, etc., because we don't have the the, the massive uh, data that China has or that the U.S. has with their platform, but we have a lot of of, of industrial data, just like Japan. This was said also before, and we have a lot of uh, health data. For example, we have excellent health systems uh, with a very coherent uh, data data set. So we have to we have to really exploit this. And there are some good examples in very small countries. For example, I was in a on Finland, they have special rules also on data, they are quite ahead, and they were saying we are able to do things that the big guys are doing with our small data set because we, we have opened it up. So I think we need to be, you know, to be confident that Europe is, has not lost the game. Now what do we need is of course, that's what I said in our strategy, and that's what was shown also in the slides, we are, uh, we are behind in investment, we need to increase the investment, that's what we are telling uh, people who will decide on the budget. We, we have actually written down that we, we want to have, we propose to have 20 billion per year uh, in five years on AI, and that would bring us to, to the level the, the level required uh, uh, compared to Japan, uh, to China and to uh, the US. And also, maybe to, 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 to finish, I think what we need is, is to make Europe more attractive, because one of the problems we have is that we have very good brains, but they're attracted by the amazing conditions in, in uh, you know, in California and so on. So we, ha we are now uh, financing uh, excellent centers. We want them to be really attractive and then find the good conditions for people to come back or not to leave at all and to make these things happen in Europe. So a positive, uh, we, we want a positive narrative about AI and this is what we will develop. And just to, to, fi to finish, uh, yes, this will be part of an EU-wide strategy. As I said, I think this, this idea that we need, uh, you know, uh, we need to be stronger on, on these technologies in Europe is going to be a very big uh, gui guiding uh, direction for the next commission. Okay, Scott, would you like to add something for last word? Uh, well, just a very few quick ones. But, and, and by the way, I obviously represent reverse brain drain, so I'm happy to be here. Um, I think those comments were spot on. Um, I wouldn't rate 
the EU as being either number one or number two overall on AI, but we have many pockets of excellence. And what it probably means is, as we increase investments, uh, th those investments, we, we have to be picking our shots, uh, essentially picking areas where we have an opportunity uh, to really excel, rather than trying to cover everything across the board at the same level as the United States, which is probably not a winning game. Um, the, uh, the kind of investments the uh, Commission has talked about making won't in themselves close the investment gap, but if they leverage enough private investment, then maybe there's a chance. So that's, I think, what we have to hope for. As far as opportunities for cooperation, uh, I think there's a lot that can be done. We already heard a lot of that in the presentations today. A couple of things that could also be considered. Uh, we have, for example, uh, a public-private partnership with Korea on 5G. Why not something with Japan and maybe other interested parties on, uh, on AI? Uh, the other flagship program that we have in Europe is uh, Horizon 2020. Um, it is perfectly possible to admit other countries. Usually, if you don't do anything special, the outside countries don't get funded. But there can be exceptions for particular subject areas. There's no reason why that couldn't be done if we thought that AI was a particular area. It's even possible, by the way, for a non-EU, non-EEA country to be an associated country, in which case they participate in Horizon 20 at the same level as EU member states. Israel is not an EU member, last time I checked. They are an associated country. For Horizon 2020 purposes, they function at the same level as um, is um, Germany or France, and, or also Switzerland, and which is the EFTA. They and they are doing really well. Yes, yes, they, 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 do, really well. they do very well on that. And you notice, by the way, they also showed up on startups uh, on, on the chart. They were big enough to show up on, on the OECD data. Absolutely right. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We'll finish our panel here. Thank you for all the speakers and the audience.